writing a, you know, did teacher tell you to write a paper or something and you have a sentence that long? It is very, very long. So um, that, is, that is a truism. This is a, this is a, in other words, there's a lot of power, a lot of stuff packed into that, this one verse, verse 3 to 14. We've broken it down to, uh, into several verses, but it's actually one big long verse in the Greek. And Paul, if that's the case, Paul is trying to tell us something. Paul is trying to emphasize something for us. And, uh, and what he's emphasizing is the blessings that, that we have in Christ. And we're going to continue to look at these blessings. Um, let's see. Uh, verse, um, let me start with verse, let me, let me actually start with verse, let me start with verse 7. And then I recap some of his in verse, from verse 3 to 6. Uh, verse 7, it says, uh, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in our wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And as I said, we today, we're going to continue to unravel uh, the blessings God has bestowed upon believers uh, that Jeremy started last week. Um, Verse three, backing up to verse three, as I'm looking at some of what Jeremy had mentioned there, I'm just kind of covering right quick to get us into the get me get us into the flow of this. In verse three, it says, uh, uh, told, uh, Jeremy reminded us as believers that we are spiritually blessed. Paul, Paul deems God to be worthy of all praise because He has blessed believers with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. <clears throat> Verse four, um, and no, no, Paul says every blessing and not some blessing. This is going to be very important as we go along down here. He is blessed with every spiritual blessing, not some spiritual blessings. And later on in our text, we're going to, we're going to come back to this. Verse four, uh, as believers, we're spiritually blessed because we have been divinely chosen. Divinely chosen. In Christ, before creation, God made us, God has chosen us in him to be holy and blameless before God. And I, I really like that. Because in order, to, in order to get into heaven, you must be holy. You must be pure. You must be clean. You must be blameless before God. You cannot come to heaven with, with a taint of sin, no matter how small that sin is. Because God is an absolutely holy God. In order for us to have that relationship with him, we must have that holiness upon ourselves. We must have that blessed, that, that, uh, um, uh, we must be blameless also before him. In verse five and six, to, to, uh, we learn that as believers, God has predestinated us for adoption. And I, I really love that, that, that picture that Paul used here about adoption. Because it's not like our adoption. It is an adoption into God's family that is permanent. And we'll see that too. Why it is permanent. It is a permanent adoption into his family. We're adopted. Uh, we're being predestined for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, not our own, to, his, to, to the praise of his glorious grace by which, gra by which grace he has blessed us in Christ the beloved. 
These are the beginnings that Jeremy brought up last week. These are the beginnings of the blessings that God has made possible for the believer. Uh, uh, because of the believer's position in Christ. And that's what I want to kind of key in on today is our position in Christ. We have these blessings because we have a certain position in Christ. Because of, these, because of one's position in Christ, these blessings proceed from God. In Christianity, salvation is first positional before God, before it is practiced before God. That's important. In Christianity, salvation is verse positional before God, before it is practiced before God. Why is that? Because in religion, it's the opposite. In religion, salvation is verse practiced through works before God before you can have a position before God. And that is a key difference. You ever have, uh, and I, I've had this happen to me before, um, people would tell you that the word of God, when you, when you talk about God and the Bible being true, and, and they'll say, no, it's just like any other book. And they'll tell you, well, archaeologists say that all these people in the past that uh, they come up with their own gods and all that Christianity and, you know, the Jews invented their gods and all these gods and and we just kind of incorporate them into the different religions and bought them into bought them into today's society, into our into our lifestyles, and that's why we have all these different religions. Well, no, there's a difference. There is a difference. Do you have to, or people say, do I have to study all the religions to figure out who God is? Which one is God's? There's a lot of religions, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them throughout history. There's been hundreds and hundreds, but there's a difference. There's been one big difference between Christianity and any of the other religions. One is based in grace, and one is based in works. All the rest of them are based in works. You even have some, quote, Christian religions, Christians in name only. Sinos, I guess, Christians in name only. You got religions that call themselves Christians, but they teach doctrines <coughs> of works. Work salvation. And we got to be careful that throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly, and, and the apostles are constantly hammering at that, that grace is the standard by which we stand, not of works. And that is the difference. You can take them out. If you're Mormon, you got to do certain things to be to get earn favor with God. If you if you're in Islam, you got to do certain things. When I was in Saudi Arabia, the, I always, five times a prayer, you hear it come across the loudspeakers with the bees and doing all the, they got to do, 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 do so much stuff. You get in Confucianism and, and Taoism and you name the ism, you name the religion, you name the cult. It's always something you have to do to earn a position, to position yourself before God in order to earn his favor. In Christianity, that is done away with. That is the difference. That is a big difference. One says do, ours says done. It's all of grace. Therefore, in order for us to receive the blessings of God, one must understand or know their position before God. There is a difference between that's between positional salvation versus practice salvation. Physically, where someone is, someone or something is positioned can determine the can determine a certain outcome. For example, um, you ever see uh, my my brother-in-law? He's in the Marines, and a few years ago they had. Remember that tsunami that went through in Japan, and a lot of people died and all that. If you go on YouTube, you can see videos of people that were there and videoing and doing all this. And the devastation is just horrendous. It's, it's amazing how fast that water comes in. Well, some of the people, when they filmed it, you see people getting wiped out. The waves are coming in so fast, wiping people out. But some people were, were positioned in certain places when that water came in that saved their lives. They were in buildings that were sturdy and strong, and they went high. 
There were people that climbed up on trees. They were just holding on trees, got high up in trees, and you see the water just come in. You have to get high enough and have a position high enough when that water comes in, or you need to be so far away so that when it when it begins to come back out, or say ebbing when it comes out, that it doesn't affect you. Their position at the time that water came in was very important. What about um, what about in science? Our Earth is tilted in the exact position it needs to be in. And it rotates at the exact speed it needs to rotate. And it's positioned exactly the way, at, the, at the correct distance from the sun and is positioned exactly the correct distance from the moon. And if you move the earth one way or the other, close to the sun or close to the moon, it's gonna determine whether we burn up or freeze. It's going to determine whether we have a lot of tsunami with the moons. It affects the the uh, the, the, the uh, weather the weather in our in, in the world. Whether we have a lot of uh, tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and all this other kind of stuff. One reason I there's many reasons actually I don't believe in evolution, but uh, we tend to think of we we really tend to think of evolutionary as a single process that started from one thing. But it isn't. Evolution is a miracle of millions, not millions, trillions of miracles have to happen for evolution to work. Because atoms and protons and neutrons and all these things have to be at an exact amounts to form, just to form a rock. And you got suns, you got life, you got all these, diff all these different things had to have the right ingredients come together at precise times in precise locations in order for those things to exist in the first place. You have to have a right position. <coughs> Where you are positioned at determines a lot of things. Your pedigree, if you're born, if you were born to, you know, son of uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or, or one of these, one of, one of these multi-billionaires, your position in that person's family determines a lot of things based uh, 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 determines your lifestyle, will determine a lot about your lifestyle, how you will live your life compared to someone that was that's not born into a rich family. Our position is very important. Where we are, we live in the United States, we are positioned here. It determines a lot of outcomes for us versus if you were born in Papua New Guinea or you're born in some place in some place in Africa or some place in the Middle East. Your position uh, 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 it's very important because it, it is a determinative factor of a lot of things for us. Spiritually, that is a physical position, but spiritually, where one is positioned before God will determine one's blessings and destination, both in this life and in the life to come. Spiritually, where one is positioned before God will determine one's blessings and destination, both in this life and the life to come. In order to receive the blessings in the book of Ephesians, that the book of Ephesians here speaks of, one must be in Christ as opposed to being outside of Christ. When you read scripture, one of the things you're going to notice is that you need to pay attention to is small words, in. In, in Ephesians, that word in is used a lot here. For instance, uh, in verse 3, it says we are in Christ. Verse 4 says we're in him. Verse 6 says we're in the beloved. Verse 7 says we're in him. Verse 9 says we're in Christ. Verse 10 says we're in him. Verse 11 says we're in him. Verse 13 says we are in him. This is a position that we have been placed in. Spiritually, one is either in Adam or in Christ. Adam is the first father. Mona and I was I, we were doing something yesterday, and we were looking at all these people, and I said, "Isn't it amazing when you see all these people that all of them came from two people, Adam and Eve, all of us." Uh, people talk about the uh, the uh, races of people. In the Bible, there are no races of people. There is only one race, and that's the human race. <laughs> I've often wanted to do that. Um, you know, you feel an application, something put race. I want. I think one day I'm gonna write human, <laughs> because we're all of the human race. We're from different cultures, cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities, but we're all of the same race. 
there's no there's no difference in that in that respect. We're all of the same race. And but in in uh, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty two, and I'm going to kind of go because I got a lot of verses uh, verse I'm put in so I can get to some questions at the end. But in First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty two, the Bible says, "For as in Adam in see that position in Adam all die, so also here we go in Christ." shall all be made alive. That, that small word makes a big difference. Where are you positionally, spiritually? Or in the world today, two people, types of people. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And where, in whichever one of those people that you're in determines the, your, your, your final destination when you leave this world. Are ye in Adam or are ye in Christ? Because through Adam, sin came into the world and death by sin. So through him, and as he has children, his children are born to sin nature and men, it comes from us. And we push this sin nature through our, gen however it works in scripture through our genetics or whatever, that sin nature is given to every single male and female child that is born of woman through us. And this is the part why it was important Jesus to be born and uh, be a virgin born. Don't ever let anyone take that doctrine away. That doctrine is very important because he was not in Adam. The Holy Spirit put the seed in, in Mary. Mary was the vessel and the Holy Spirit put the seed of Christ in her for him to be born, God to be born of the of flesh. And so therefore, we need to get in Christ and get out of Adam in order for us to have an inheritance in heaven before God, in order for us to be saved. And that leads us to the divine payment that we have in verse 7. And verse 7 says, um, in him we have redemption, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. By a, uh, we have a, we have redemption by divine pay. We have a divine payment for our sin. That word redemption. I like that word redemption. Anyone, uh, I'm trying to remember how, I'm showing your age. Anyone remember green stamps? Remember those? Yeah, I only saw like one. Everyone has a friend. I remember them. I was a child though, but I do remember them. I remember. Uh, uh, um, but um, that we some people call them redemption stamps or things of that nature, or we call them green stamps. And uh, there was another name they had for them. I can't remember what it was. But what you used to do with those things is you go out and shop somewhere. They would get you get a booklet. They give you this little booklet, and this book they give you not only your receipt for you know when you got your receipt back, you got these little stamps that came out of the, the little ticker thing sometimes. And you took the they were called green stamps and or redemption stamps or and you take these stamps and you lick them like yes. a regular stamp and stick them in these books. And they lick them everyone. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> and they lick these things. And but see when you fill these books up. The more you filled up in these books and the more of these books you could collect, you could take them down to certain, called in a redemption center. And not, I was, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and Knoxville was down in Westtown. And you could go down to this place, you go in there, and there's a lot of merchandise there. And you can take these books. If you have enough of these things, you can give them these books, and you can get a TV, you can get a bicycle, you can get a hair dryer or whatever, depending on how many you have. Of course, the bigger the item, the more the books you had to have. And so some people have lots and lots and lots. It was to encourage you to go buy things. So, you, you know, and that was your reward. And so you use those stamps to redeem something out of that store for, back to your, for yourself. This is the idea that we're having here. This, the idea that, uh, that um, uh, Paul is bringing out to us here is a ransom to be, to pay, be paid or bought back to release someone from slavery. A lot of slavery in the ancient in the ancient era. We our minds focus on slavery in the United States. Slavery has been around forever in all types of forms. 
And, and the redemption he says here is that God has, re, we, in him we have redemption through his blood. God has redeemed us. Mankind is a slave to sin. And whether you like it or not, who is our master? Sin. Who owns us? Sin. Why do we do wrong? Because we are born sinners. And mankind is a slave to sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Is anyone in here has uh, never sinned? Has anyone in here never, ever sinned? I asked a guy that once when I was in the military, and he said, oh, my grandmother never sinned. He said, she was, she, you know, I said, no, no, your, your goody two-shoes great-grandma, she may have been a great-grandma, but she has sinned. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed. We can't help it. It is part of our nature. An apple tree must produce apples, and orange trees must produce oranges, and a sinful person must produce sin because it's in our nature. Sin for nature will produce sin. It is in us. We are a slave to it. As Paul said in Romans, oh, wretched man, who should deliver me from the body of his death? Because he said, when I try to do good, evil is with me. No matter what I do, there is sin with me. When I'm doing evil, I recognize the sin, but when I try to do good and I look behind the good that I do, I find out, oh, there's an ulterior motive behind that, behind what I do. There's a sinful motivation behind there. What can I get out of it? Mankind also is a servant to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. We are slaves, servants to sin. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Mankind is sold under sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold under sin. We're not above sin. We're not equal with sin. We are under sin. We're sold under sin. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're dead in sins, dead in trespasses and sins book of Romans. And being dead, we can't do anything. That sin hovers over. It's like we died when Adam bit into that fruit. We died as an Adam all died and we were thrown into a sinful grave and then covered with sin and we lay there dead in trespasses and sin. Another reason you can't work yourself out of, out of that situation. You're dead in it. You have no energy. You have nothing you can contribute to get yourself out of that grave, that sinful grave. Something else is needed. And that what is needed is that redemption. What is needed is through his blood. We need blood. We need a blood sacrifice because sin requires death. Sin then demands a price to be paid to release his captive. That price is death, Six, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It pays a wage. You either pay that wage or someone else can pay that wage for you. You cannot pay that wage. You're dead in trespassing sin. You can't even, that's why you can't work. We work to earn a wage, to earn a living, but you can't work to get something from God, to get favor with God, to get into a relationship with God. You're dead in trespasses and sin. It was through that a verse like this, uh, Ramona, when I was uh, uh, courting my wife, we, I actually courted instead of dated, but when I was courting my wife, um, their pastor brought that verse out to me and got me on that road to where I ended up understanding the doctrines of grace. He said, how can a dead man do anything? And I went, I remember I, I had flown over to Germany to see her and I'm flying back to England in my mind, that just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. How can a dead man do anything? dead man can't do anything it can't do anything so therefore it must be all of grace and not of anything I do I because I used to say I saved myself when I get I didn't say I saved myself I would say when I got saved when I came to Christ and as I thought back on it and look back at that day when I'm sitting in the boys club something happened to me before I acknowledged and prayed and asked Christ to save me. Something turned the light on in me. 
and that is God's Holy Spirit, God's grace, opened my mind to my lost condition and drew me to Christ. He can, that was when the moment of my conversion happened before I even realized my condition. The Holy Spirit did a work in me and awakened me to my lost condition. And then I was able to see um, I deserved hell. I was the problem with the world. I, I have a problem with God and I need grace. And that lady told me, and she says, but, and she, I mean, she used the, the wordless book thing, and she had these hearts, and she put this red heart, and she, my heart, she was supposed to be representing this black heart, and she put this red heart, she said, but the blood of Christ. And she did this little trick that when she dropped that, that red heart over the, the dark heart, there was a white heart that, that came forward. And she said, but the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. It is a work of God that is needed and because being slaves to sin being sold under sin being dead to sin we need someone to dig us out of that grave and that's through the blood of Christ death a sacrificial death throughout the New T Old Testament God with Israel God has constantly had the priests uh, sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing animals day in and day out morning noon and night blood was being shed and being shed and being shed but when Christ came all those things were put away one sacrifice was made for sin one blood was shed and that was Christ's blood and we can put away all those things we don't need the temple we don't need the veil we don't need anything we only need Christ he's both prophet he's our priest he's our king he's our redeemer he's our <laughs> savior everything that we have is in him because of redemption that's the price to be paid. A good book to study is the book of Hosea about uh, uh, is Hosea with uh, Gomer, and God tells him to marry a prostitute, and God said, "You love her." In other words, Gomer, you know a lot about her. You know that she's been unfaithful. You know that she's she's a hooker. She's she's sleeping around. Her, but I want you to. She was being sold in this marketplace. You go buy her. And you marry her. That's going to be a picture of what I do to Israel. I bought you out of the marketplace of sin. I set my affection upon you. I bought you into my household. And I blessed you for letting you be in my household. And then you became mine. He dressed her all up. And even as, after he married her, he told her, he even told her, she would still go and sin again. Which she did. She left. And he was to wait till she came back. Because he said, our bond, my bond with you, Israel, as God's bond with the church, with us, because we're grafted into Israel, is a permanent bond. And God loved us despite the condition that we were in. Gomer loved her despite the condition she was in. It is, it is a salvation that is based upon blood and sacrifice. For our sake he made him to be sin. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 21, 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. We now have Christ's righteousness according to uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the riches of his grace. Riches of his grace. I like that word grace. It's my favorite word in the Bible. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get something based upon what's, what someone else has done, someone else's sacrifice, someone else's death, someone else's life, and that, and that person is Christ. Uh, verse 8. There's also an abundant blessing. He says, these blessings which are lavished upon us, that word lavish there speaks of like being bathed in something. These blessings, these are, these are you realize these are not all the blessings in, in, in Scripture. As you read, you see that we have a, such an abundance of, grace, of, of blessings. This word lavish means to extend, expending or bestowing with, with, uh, with great expense. Wild, unrestrained giving. Back in verse 7, it says, oh, God has given to us a, a, 
uh, blessings according to his riches. And as uh, I saw some different people, they bought this out, and I like this. They talked about there is a difference between giving out of one's riches and giving according to one's riches. If Elon Musk had walked in here and and my my daughter, she she does a lot of waitressing while she's in college and stuff like that. If he were to walk into the to the restaurant where she works and get, left her a tip, a big tip, and he says, "Here, I'm gonna give you a couple of thousand dollars." She would really enjoy it, but he would only be giving out of his riches. But in order for him, but if he walked in there and said, "I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a tip according to my riches," he is basically saying, "Here's a blank check." You write the number in. Fill it in. I got so much, just come and partake of it. And when God says he's given us according to his riches, how much does he own? Everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the universe. He owns the riches in heaven. Everything in this universe is his. We are his. We are bought with a price. Everything is his. But guess what? You are in Christ. And Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Therefore, when God looks upon you, he sees his son. And when he sees his son, his son has access to everything that the father has access to. Guess what? You're in Christ. You have access to everything that Christ has access to. We only have a down payment, as we'll see here, when we, came, uh, when we got saved. We, are, we haven't begun to experience the fullness of the blessings that we have. We only get a taste of it. A taste. And it should help us to say, hmm, living for this world is not all it is really wrapped up to be because I got a greater, greater uh, inheritance coming. I'm finding that I'm, I turned 60 in February. And it's amazing. You, you get to the other side of 50 because uh, I, I used to notice like my mom and my in-laws that they were, it's easier for them to give things to their, their grandchildren and things. They give and they give and they give. Why? Well, I think you begin to realize that hoarding things and having all these things, it's kind of that novelty is worn off. The younger you are, you're always looking, I need to get this. I need to get, 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 get. By the time you get to my age, you realize, like, yeah, I've got a new car, been there, done that. Had a house, been there, done that. Had new clothes, been there, done that. Had this, been there, done that. And you find it, ah, none of them has never really fulfilled me. It's just this endless cycle of getting and getting and getting and it grows old and getting and getting and getting and getting and getting and getting and, getting and it never fulfills. You say, must be something else. But I find that at my age right now, I'm looking forward to Christ coming. And quite frankly, outside of the aches and pains of being <laughs> six years old, I'm in a better position than you all that are younger than me. <laughs> all things being equal. I mean, you never know when you're going to die, but I'm in a better position. And, and that is a truism. And so it makes growing old a lot more comfortable when you think of it from that perspective. When you think of it from that perspective. Let's see. Uh, Let's see, he says, um, he not only lavished this upon, he lavished it upon us in all wisdom and in all insight. This speaks of, that is, God has wisely judged and determined that upon his inspection of us in Christ, these blessings rightfully and righteously belong to us. Why do you get to partake of these? He looks through his wisdom and his inspection of you. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows you inside and out. He knows you better than yourself. But when he looks at you, he doesn't see victory the sinner. He sees victory the saint in Christ. And yes, he is worthy of all these blessings. And we have all these things because of his of his uh, divine gifts, his divine grace, and his divine knowledge. Verse 9 says, God making known to us the mystery of his will. 
What does this mean? The mystery of his will. This speaks of divine truth that is incapable of being discovered by human ingenuity or knowledge. First Corinthians chapter one, verse, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter one, verses uh, 25 through 27 says, as Paul speaking says, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This plan was according to his purpose, a plan known only to himself. This plan, which was, was set forth in Christ, the divine conduit of our blessings. We uh, our minds are finite. Our minds are not all not. We, we cannot understand the gospel without God's grace. This is a divine blessing of being saved. God opens the gospel. You understand the gospel. I find it amazing. That every, you can witness the people. You can give them the best plan of salvation you want to give them and break it down as best you can. And people still can't see. Paul said because they're spiritually discerned. Our minds have been blocked by Satan. We cannot see Satan and sin that keeps our minds from seeing our, our need of Christ. But when God saves you, and you, you ever had that experience? You read the word of God and tried to read the word of God before you were saved, but after God saves you, you read the word of God now. So things are just, wow, understand, understand. Wow, 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 wow. It's like things are constantly coming. Why? Divine insight. God has given you divine grace to understand the mysteries of his word. It befuddles the rest of the world. Verse 10, we have a divine time or plan. As a plan for the fullness, as a plan for the fullness of time. Galatians verses 4, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption uh, uh, as sons. God is, uh, God is, um, God has brought these blessings into our life, into all those that are saved at a divine time. When he brought Christ in, when, when he set that time for Christ to come to this earth, to live on this earth for three, three and a half years and die on the cross for our sins. God, it was a divine time and a, div a divine plan that God had set forth for us. And do, God used that to unite all things in heaven and earth to us. Colossians verses 1 verses 19 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is in Christ. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his by the blood of his cross. All things we were we received. All things during, during his plan and his time when he brings us to Christ. This is a, we, we get a divine, uh, uh, it is in God's timing and God's plans for, for all things to be bestowed upon us. And, and when he saves us to the time he takes us to, takes us to heaven, we are in a, we are in, we're under God's timetable, not mankind's timetable. Man is constantly thinking, man is going to destroy the earth. We're going to have global warming. We're going to have global cooling. We're going to have this. Now, I never panic with all that. God said, the times and the seasons are in his hands. If any destroying of the earth is going to happen, it's going to be at the hands of God, not man. We can do destruction regionally, but we will not destroy this planet. This is under God's control. And your salvation, when God saves, is under his control. We also have a divine uh, inheritance uh, in him, in verse 11, in him we have obtained or made, uh, we have uh, obtained or been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
this either speaks of, and this one, I, I struggle with this verse here, but uh, here's what I got from it. This either speaks, of, some people say this either speaks of the value God has placed upon the believer or God has placed upon the Jew uh, for, uh, through the believer. Simply uh, or simply a heavenly treasure pre prepared for us when we see when we see Christ. This divine in Him we are we have a, we have obtained or been made an inheritance. The who does the we refer to? Some people it refers to all Christians. Some people say it refers to Paul is talking about that because of God is saving Gentiles that the Jews will one day be regrafted back in and be saved. And so, but some people say it's for it's all of us. Well. Whichever way it goes, we get this inheritance because of a relationship that we have with Christ. Israel may be outside that that inheritance for a while, but they will never be take that nation will never be taken away from this this inheritance. God saves all men and all peoples throughout all ages and all times. It is a work of God in the hearts of man. Verse, 14, uh, verse 13 and 14, we also have a divine protection. And I really like this verse, these two verses. In him ye also, when ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed means to be protected and preserved until the full inheritance is obtained. The Holy Spirit is our divine down payment. That was the thing that when God saved you up, you woke to righteousness. That was, a, that, was that, that feeling of that weight of sin coming up off of you. In other words, God snatching you up out of that grave. The dirt was, the sinful dirt was removed and all of a sudden you felt freedom. Uh, remember when, when Lazarus was in the tomb and Christ goes in there and raises him from the he says release him why he was wrapped up he was mummified he couldn't do anything but Christ brought him gave him life brought him back from the dead spiritually that was a physical re, physical birth back into life but spiritually when God does that to us he takes the sinful pussy pus filled sinful uh, scarves and, and wrappings off of our dead bodies and gives us new life and we are free. That re There's a release. And we as Christians, wow, I remember the day that that happened, it seemed like life was different. I looked at the world different, differently. Why? What, what, what happened? The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that we all have become and we are the children of God. Amen. God has given you a down payment, a taste of what it's going to be like in glory. And this is what motivates us, and this is what keeps us going. He not only, he not only, he not only is our down payment, he seals us, we're protected. We're, uh, uh, I mentioned Romans 8, verse, uh, Romans verses 8, verse 16 and 7. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. That we're children of God. Oh, excuse me. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's like God took us out of something, put us in a Ziploc bag, and zip. Not only that, you realize God saves you. Christ saves you, rather. In Christ, you're saved. In the Holy Spirit, you are sealed and given an earnest down payment of what it's like in heaven. But in John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, it is the Father also that secures you. And it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. We're saved, we're sealed, and we're secure in Christ. One of the, they talk about the doctrines of grace, there's five doctrines of grace and, and one of them is perseverance of the saints. And that doesn't mean that the saints are to persevere through sweat and toil and all that. What it means is that if you've been saved, if 
when God saves you, he has saved you, sealed you, and you will, through his grace, he will help you persevere through the end. You will persevere through the end. You will end up in heaven. That destination, that final destination is yours. It will never be taken away from you. Who should separate us from the love of God? Government, your sinful, your sinful life, nothing will separate you from him. Your failures, your faults, nothing. This is important that we know this because it gives us a freedom that the world doesn't have to go out into this world, to live for God, to obey him. And knowing that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what happens to us, no matter how much we fall, how much we fail or fall, that we're always secure in him. Your children, when you have children, they want to know mommy and daddy is around. They feel secure in your presence. Well, I'm not in heaven with God. And Christ has gone on before me. But when he left, he said he was going to give us a paraclete, a down payment. He was going to give us a comforter to be with us. So that we know that no matter what situation we're in, he is with us abiding until the end of our life in this world. By the way, death in the Bible means simply means separation. It doesn't mean annihilation. Once you're born, saved or lost, you're going to live for all eternity. It just depends on where you're going to live for all eternity. This flesh will die, but your soul will live, and this flesh will be rebirthed. But you will live eternally in heaven with God, or you will live eternally in the lake of fire with hell and, and Satan and the false prophet and all that stuff. You're an eternal being. And when we die in this life, we are separated from this life into the spiritual life. And the Bible says when we die before God in the second life, you're separated from God into the lake of fire. But as a believer, you'll never experience that second death, that second separation. There's only one. There's only one. And that's from this life. And the way the world is going right now, <laughs> Uh, I welcome it. I welcome this next separation. I'm not going to take care of it myself. I'm, God has things he wants to do through me and with me. But I realize that when it comes, I don't, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear. Um, very quickly, what, what makes some of these blessings possible for us? Uh, as we're going through, these, going through this text, and you look at all these blessings, what makes these blessings possible for the believer? As we've gone through all this, what do you think? What makes, what makes all these blessings available to us? Our position in Christ. Right, our position in Christ. And how do we obtain that position? How is that position obtained? We have a position in Christ, and being in Christ, we have the blessings. So how is that, ble how those how those how do we obtain that position in Christ? Receive it. Christ has given it. Right. Power. And what, what, what one word? I'm looking for this one word. I said it was my favorite oh. word. Grace. Grace. Yes. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a Puritan preacher, uh, not Puritan, but back in the day, but he wrote a book called All of Grace. All of Grace. Because you're sitting on the word of God, it's your grace. Because you're in a church, it's, your, it's because of grace. You're saved because of grace. You have the inheritance in heaven because of grace. You can praise God because of grace. Everything that you have, every blessings that enter into your life is because of God's grace. It is grace, 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 and grace alone paid by the price of another, not through, our, not through us, through Christ's blood, through his redemption, redeeming us from that marketplace and giving us all the inheritance that God has given us through the word of God. It's one reason, read the word of God, get into it because there's so 
many blessings there. And as you read, when you have your down days and you read and you look, there's so many blessings that you get from that. The Holy Spirit will intercede with you as you as you study scripture and enlighten you and, and it just it just gives you a different perspective in life. The world runs around here and the Bible says they have no hope. Those are sad words. No hope. But conversely, it says we have a hope that's sure, steadfast, reserved in heaven for you. A sure and steadfast hope. I want to get to more questions, but um, my time got away from me. So let's pray and then um, we can go and, and participate in uh, the services to come. Father, we thank you for your grace. Without it, we have nothing. With it, we have everything. Everything in Christ. Everything in heaven and inheritance that has been abundantly poured out, lavished upon us. We can bathe in all the truths and the blessings that you've given us. Millionaires and billionaires may have their wealth, but it's nothing in comparison to what we have in you and what we'll have for all eternity. Their wealth is temporal. Moth and rust will enter into their wealth. It'll be taken, it can be taken away from them at any moment. And it definitely will be taken away from them when they die. But for us, <laughs> we have an eternal hope, an eternal blessing that we'll be able to enjoy and we'll never tire of it. Never, ever tire of it because of what Christ has done for us. I want to thank you for choosing to save those whom you save, those of us that know you as Savior. And we pray with all our hearts that you would choose our loved ones that we know that are lost, our friends and family. That you open their eyes to the gospel, to bring them into this, into this inheritance that we have in Christ. And no matter what happens, in every good and blessing that we receive, we want to give you the praise and honor and glory for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.